everybody. Thanks again for joining me here on Take a Knee. I'm Pastor David, and we're going to get into some stuff today. We're going to talk about giving. The whole idea of being a giver is something absolutely biblical. Bottom line, for me, it was a step that I've had to learn over the years. And I'll just give you a quick background for my life. Learning to be a giver was kind of tough. And the reason why was because I had grown up in some measure of poverty. Now, it wasn't always that way. But when chaos and destructive forces hit my family, we were kind of split up and things began to go awry back there in the middle of the 70s, late 70s, early 80s. And I remember as a young boy having to do things in order to have what I needed beyond what my dad was able to supply. And so if I wanted better school clothes or even school clothes, I would work doing odd jobs and mowing longs, shoveling snow when I lived in the north, and then working on farms during the summer, hauling hay and working in tobacco and various things that I would do. I always loved working in lawns. That was always something that I really enjoyed. And so one of the things that really affected me in those early days in my learning to be a giver was it came so hard because I had worked so hard for what I had gained. And because I had never really had a lot in my life, it was something that I had to learn when I gave my life to Christ in 1980. And so I was 17 years old and had part-time jobs here and there while I was finishing up high school. And when I began to hear about this concept of tithing and giving 10% of what God had given in my increase of my income, it was kind of hard at first. Yet I was so determined to be a Christ follower. I wanted to do what the Bible said. And everything that I had read and everything and the other pastors that I had been listening to and the discipleship that I was getting at the time, I never wanted to not be doing what God had called me to do. So it was hard. And I remember if I made 20 bucks for something, there was $2 that I would set aside to honor the Lord. I wasn't really going to a regular church at the time because I just couldn't find something that really was aligning with my beliefs. But I did what I could. I would mail it to my brother to give to his church. And then eventually I lived there with him and was able to continue to tithe and honor God as the money that was given to me or I was able to earn. And so when I think of that, it was a journey. But yet I have been tithing since those days. And I have definitely as a man and as a father and as a husband, as a leader, as pastor and just a consumer, an American wage earner. I've learned that as I've honored God that way, that God has just always had not only what I needed, but often more than I needed, and then sometimes massive amounts more than I needed, miraculous ways that God would come in and take care of catastrophic things that would happen. And so I learned you can never really outgive God. And I always saw those, when I heard those words, it always would make me feel like, well, that's just what people who want the money say in order to give you more. That might be even what you're thinking right now. But I'll tell you, in my life, it has been an extreme verification of these truths without question. I have watched God do it over and over again. So I want to look at the story today of the widow's might, the little lady widow that Jesus spotted. And so let's set the, the background for this. So Jesus is walking into the temple. They're on a field trip today, okay? He's teaching them about giving. He's teaching them about the heart. He's teaching them about how the kingdom of God works. And so always remember that. Always keep that in mind, that Jesus is teaching his disciples how it works. 
See, all they've been exposed to is just the scribes teaching what has been emulated by the Pharisees to them, what they've been told they must do. And of course, Christianity kind of fell into the same thing just before the Reformation or throughout church history leading up to the Reformation. A lot of control, a lot of manipulation, a lot of interpretation of Scripture that really wasn't there. And so obviously that produces a lot of mistrust when it comes to money. But Jesus is teaching his disciples how this kingdom of God thing works and that it's about the heart. And we want to focus on the money, but God says, no, you focus on what you're doing. And he says, so let me give you an example. So on this particular day that they're in the temple, it is the day or the time of the day when people are bringing their tithes and offerings. Now, I get the impression that this is a special time, that this is a time that is not just the weekly offering, but perhaps this is a festival. Maybe this is a time that is specifically designated for people to bring special offerings. And so they're there and they're watching. They see the Pharisees coming in. And all I can imagine is that they're coming in one at a time, you know, with a little bit of pomp and circumstance, wearing their robes and their phylacteries, and they're all groomed with their oils and they're making a big show out of their preparation to give their tithes and offerings there at the temple. And as they're coming in, people are watching them and they're giving. Of course, you know, they're bringing in, as Jesus would have mentioned in another place in Matthew, that they're bringing a tenth of all their mint, their dill, and their cumin. So the things that they're growing on their little farms and gardens and haciendas and places where the Pharisees would live, you can bet that they had very nice accommodations and home gardens and maybe even fairly large farms and properties where they were able to grow large amounts of these foodstuffs. And anyway, they would bring them in and they would tithe, or at least you think they're tithing. And Jesus points it out and he goes, you know, look what they're doing. There's a lot of show going on here. He says, but wait, wait, wait for this. And sure enough comes a little old widow who walks in and she's probably moving really slow and bent over a little bit from a hard life. She's wearing probably all black because she's a widow and is going to remain such and is being cared for the best that they can through her synagogue. She comes in and she's making her way to the offering bowl or the place where the offerings are left and she brings and pulls out what we call the widow's mite, but it's a mite. And it's really just a fraction of a coin. It's very, very small. Perhaps you've seen one. You can look at it if you want. Just type it in to your computer and look it up on Wikipedia, and you'll see how small it is. I believe it was made of copper. And this was a very, very small denomination. I mean, incredibly small probably would only buy a loaf of bread that would last you for a day or two. But for the widow, she might make it last a whole week because of not having very much. But she walks in and she takes that mite and she gives it. She gives it all. And Jesus says, now look what has taken place here. He said, she is giving all that she has. She's got nothing else. She just gave her food up for several days in order to honor the Lord and yet he makes a comparison that the Pharisees have come in, and you may just say, well, they tithe too. Why is Jesus judging them? Well, no, what Jesus is saying, and he knows what's going on here, is that the Pharisees, as he's called out before, are not really giving a tenth of what they have. They have figured out how to kind of rob God, as Malachi would say, 
in ways where they really weren't giving a tenth of all that they had. They were able to kind of work the books, so to speak. First of all, what do we call that? Well, they're cheating, okay? Bottom line, they're cheating. And yet they're trying to pass it off as if it is something grandiose that they're doing. And yet they're very, very wealthy. And likely what Jesus is pointing out is that their tithes should be much bigger than that. Or perhaps they should not even be just tithing. They should be doing more than what they have been giving. And I want to call your attention to another story that just as in comparison is Zacchaeus. When Jesus goes into Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus is much more generous in his repentance. He pays back what he has not given to the poor, and then he is committed, I believe, up to 50% of everything that he has, he's now going to use for the kingdom of God. Now that, in Jesus' mind, is a response that should really be taking place for those who are wealthy, and they don't even really need all that they have in order to live on. And we see this going on in the world today, as far as the incredibly wealthy and those who say, give, 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 and yet they're not charitable or giving at all. Maybe they give a little bit, but nothing comparable to their wealth. So what would people in the world tell the widow today when we look at our economy and the different modes of economic perspective in our world today. I've written this down. What would each one of these, the communists, the socialists, the capitalists, and so on, what would they tell the widow? What financial advice if she walked into the office? Well, the communists would say she should keep it and forget about the grandfather in the sky. (laughs) In other words, just keep what you got. You're poor and don't worry about God. Don't believe in God. He's not going to do anything for you. The socialist would tax it and would tell her, well, it's not really yours anyway. You didn't earn it. The capitalist would help her learn how to make more with a business called Widowed and Loving It, LLC. The banker would rather have her deposit it and say, well, why don't you give it to me? Let's put it in the bank and I'll make money on your money and we'll let you have it after a time. The investor would say you should invest it. But what would God say? What would God tell the widow? Well, He would say, go ahead and give it. Give it to me. I know this seems hard, but look what God has said in Scripture. It says, if we give it, it'll come back to us, pressed down, shaken together, and running over in how this blessing will come. And this is the thing that Jesus is pointing out. I mean, our hearts are broken for her when we think of her giving what she has. Yet Jesus is going to teach in Luke chapter 6, this very truth. He says, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so this is such a very powerful truth that we find in Scripture that actually has this companion truth in Matthew chapter 7, and that's a teaching I just recently did in our church, and the Sermon on the Mount. But this is interesting. I didn't really go into this in my teaching. I didn't really do any comparables or references when I taught the Sermon on the Mount. I took it right out of Matthew. But isn't it interesting that Jesus is talking about money as well as saying, don't judge. But here is this verse when he's talking about this principle of sowing and reaping. And I just love it when he's saying it to give. He's not necessarily saying that we should rectify or change our situation when it comes to giving, that we should 
avoid or ignore what it is that God is saying or think it only applies to judgment or to the negative things. So in other words, don't give so that you don't have anything poured into your lap. No, Jesus is really pointing out what we would have to call the law of reciprocity. You know, what comes around goes around. You sow and you reap in what you sow. It is a universal principle that Jesus is going to teach on in many places. And of course, Paul is going to pick up on it. And so I wanted to point this out today, that when it comes to the struggle of mankind, what it really comes down to, I think our biggest struggle is definitely greed. And it's what has controlled the heart of man for generations. I mean, you think about Cain. What caused Cain to kill his brother Abel? Why did he do that? Well, because it was greed. It was jealousy. He looked at his brother and he held back. He didn't give the best. He only took his vegetables. It didn't really cost him. And people have been confused by that. But when Abel gave, he gave something that was more of a heartfelt sacrifice. Blood was shed. He knew that it cost him in the way of his soul, that he loved this animal, but he loved God more. And he knew that this would be a true sacrifice, something that cost him, not only financially, but it cost him in his soul. You following me? See, when it comes to being givers, it really needs to cost us. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here in the story of the widow, is that she is giving of all that she has, he said. It was a sacrifice. That's the key. Is it a sacrifice? Is it really digging into our comfort zone? So many of us are learning this in life. I know I've learned it. And I think really tithing is only the beginning of learning it. It digs in at first, but God is only asking for a tenth to honor him so that he will bless the rest. But then once we get past what I would call Kingdom Finances 101, we move on to a greater understanding because then if we want a greater return, it has to involve a greater sacrifice. And it has to trust God that it will come back to us pressed down, shaken together, and running over, as it says there in Luke. Poured into our lap. In other words, not poured someplace where we won't find it, but it's been given right to us. Such wonderful teachings, such powerful truths. And it's one I think that each one of us need to embrace in these days as we negotiate really the dark times of our world. This world is completely controlled by this Babylonian financial system. It's global, and we know that's what's taking place. We're learning a lot about this, things that we thought were conspiracy theory that we didn't want to talk about. It's just like, just ignore it. La, 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 sticking our fingers in our ears. We now know it's all true. <laughs> it's all true. And with a snap of their fingers, they can shut it all down. They can shut down nation. And we read about this kind of perspective in the book of Revelation. But I'll tell you, more and more, I'm feeling like, look, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. We can't stop what God is going to do. But on our watch, we can continue to the very end to honor God, that we can walk through the water, not drown, through the fire, not burn, that we'll be fed by the ravens. God will take care of us, right? That even though Jezebel and her compadre Ahab are in control and have these demons that are ruling and controlling all of Israel. God has 7,000 he's reserved for himself. And sometimes we feel alone in all this process, but God is saying, you're not alone. Continue to honor me and watch what I do and how I'll feed you and how I'll care for you. And then watch the great victories take place as whole kingdoms 
come to an end by the power of God. So we don't have to worry about what's going on in the world today. You know, the financial system is what it is. The debt and all the stuff that we get caught up in, there is tangible resources all around us. We don't have to worry about the paper money. We don't have to worry about those things. God tells us that we don't have to worry or be anxious about things, that if we honor him, and if we know where our provision comes from, it's always going to be there. How much more than the birds of the air or the flowers of the field? How much more is God going to care for us? So my friend, I don't know if you're the widow or if you're the wealthy one. I don't know your story, but I pray that you'll understand that God wants us to honor him with the first fruit of our wealth. God wants us to plumb the depths of where generosity can actually go. And if the church could just finally get uncorked and understand what this is and how we can step away from this world system and its control through fear and loss, we can step away from that and live in a totally different economy, God's economy, supernatural, miraculous economy. We can live there when we honor him, when we honor him. So whatever our widow's might is, we offer it up with all of our heart, knowing that God is going to bless us. Lord, I pray right now, God, that every one of us will remember this in our times. Lord, when times are tight and tough, if we, Lord, test you in this, then Lord, we will watch you pour out such a blessing, not only so that we get blessed, but that we can be a blessing. Lord, may the church understand this. May we understand this. May we walk in it every day of our life. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. God bless you, folks. You have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time.